Ever since uh, I've been a congregant in a church, and particularly uh, in studying church history and been sitting in the pews, I've been intrigued by the church calendar that gets referenced all the time. And, you know, things like today, we have the baptism of Jesus, and last week was the, you know, the uh, Epiphany Sunday, and we have all these various sort of things that happen. And, and I've, I've mentioned the church calendar many times uh, right here and even this morning. And so I think we're all kind of used to the idea of a church calendar. If you look up the church liturgical year on, on Google, you'll find uh, a little wheel that comes up and it's got pie slices in it that show when Christmas is and when Lent is and when regular time is. And there's colors associated with all of those. We can get very formal about it. But and in the Presbyterian church, we kind of follow it, but not. Um, some churches adhere to it strictly. Some don't, depending on the congregation or the denomination. But when I was at, uh, a church member sitting in the pews like yourselves in West End Toronto, that particular congregation really didn't talk about the church calendar or liturgical year. All we pretty much really were, I was aware of, probably just much my own not paying attention as anything, but was Christmas and Easter. Those are the big times. Other than that, you're at church, you know. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that at all, certainly. But, but I, I, I like to think about the church calendar in particular, because it connects us to a long history of, of, uh, of church history. And it connects us to the Christians throughout time as well. Because the church calendar wasn't developed just because it was something to do and make a calendar up. It was given us as a, as a kind of a, we can follow the timeline of the gospel message of Jesus Christ throughout the, the entire year. It helps us to read our Bibles a little better because we've got some direction because of the calendar telling us here's what we are. As I said, it connects us to our ancestors. So today I wanted to really think about this idea of the dove and the baptism of Jesus, but reflect on our own baptism as we do do this. It's important for us not to always look backwards, but sometimes just to reflect on how we got here. And I think our baptism is an important keystone for all of us as Christians because I would say that most of us here, if not all of us here, have been baptized at some point in our life. Whether it was an infant baptism or something we did as teens or something we did as adults, whether it was in this church or whether it was in a different church or a different denomination, done done differently as I described to the children, it's a keystone event in our lives. So as we consider this, just take a moment now. This is just bow our heads for prayer. Lord, it's, it's difficult Sunday to Sunday to Sunday sometimes to kind of get the church and get all the stuff done that has to get done and get the kids in the car and get ourselves in the car and have breakfast in whatever order we put all that in and then suddenly come here and, and sit quietly and listen to some person speaking at the front. So help right now that this moment can be more than that for us. Holy Spirit, descend upon us as we read about this descending of the Spirit on Jesus. Descend on us now. So all that stuff gets pushed away for a few minutes. And we listen for your voice, just as you spoke that day to Jesus and the the crowd gathered. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Very often, you'll see me, usually during the the, um, prayer of confession, come down here. And I, I was at a conference a number of years ago, and I watched them do this, and I, I was impressed with it. 
And it wasn't impressive, you know, let's do this every Sunday, but it was impressive enough, this particular conference that I was at, when during the prayer time, they took a moment to come to the baptismal font and pour water into it to remind us of that moment of our baptism. But it wasn't just something to look at. It was something to listen for. And I point that out very clearly because it's the flowing waters of the River Jordan that we're listening for. The cleansing waters that Jesus was standing in that morning. So I'm going to pour the water and I want you to try and listen for that sound. It's a special sound. It's a very special sound. It's a sound that triggers all kinds of things, aside from maybe having to relieve yourself. Sorry. (laughs) It's a sound that triggers flowing waters in our minds. It's a sound that feels clean because the water's rushing past. It's that baptismal water sound. In fact, in some churches... They have a fountain, which is where we get the word fount, or font rather. They have a fountain that's running all the time so that that water can be heard in the sanctuary all the time. You see, church is not just supposed to be a time when you sit like you were doing and listen to some guy yammer on at the front. This is the time to experience the Spirit of God. And that flowing water sound adds to the effect for us. So I tried to add to that effect this morning for us. To hear the waters of the River Jordan flowing as Jesus stood there and John spoke to him and God spoke from above. Baptismal fonts represent that water. And uh, some baptismal fonts, you'll see them if you go into different churches, especially when you go into more formal and older churches. They're made of stone. There's all kinds of symbolism built in here. Some of them are eight-sided. It's a reminder of a new creation and is a connection to old uh, contract or old promises from God. It represents something that took place very special for babies on their eighth day, biblically speaking around that font. Some baptismal fonts are three-sided to remind us of the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Holy Trinity, rather. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some fonts are placed at the uh, uh, entrance of the nave. I've pointed this out, and I'm going to speak about this in a few weeks. But if you all look up, and Ray, I'm looking for you in particular, we are looking at the bottom of a boat. And that's why this is called the nave. Because it's naval and it's intentional, folks. It's by design. Because they didn't have to build a church roof looking like this. They could have done all kinds of other things. But there's spars going across. It's to raise our eyes up, but to remind us that we're on a journey and we're in the ship of God. And often they put the font at the entrance to this this journey that we're taking. Baptism reminding us once again... You started something at your baptism and you're in a journey and you're partaking in that. I point to Ray because you've got a naval background. Fonts 
are there in many churches through the Middle Ages and Renaissance. There's even a special chapel built sometimes for them, a separate building housing them called a baptistry. The quantity of water is usually small. You can see we've used that here. Like I said, somehow water pumps or natural springs keep the water moving to give that visual and audible image of communicating living waters, that one aspect of baptism. I poured it from a very big height in that sense this morning to represent that, and I was so moved at that particular conference that I was at. It was a huge room. There must have been 1,500 people there surrounding the sanctuary, and in the middle, right in the center, they had this baptismal font, and they poured the water, and boy, you could have heard a pin drop. It was amazing. Methods of baptism, I alluded with the children, change from denomination to denomination, congregation to congregation. That same church in West End, Toronto, they did a baptism, I know, a few years back, and they got an inflatable pool and brought it in the church, blew it up, filled it with water, because the person being baptized wanted sort of a full immersion effect. They didn't have a pool like that in the church, so they just put one in in the morning. It worked. How it's done is not so much an issue. Because as I said, you'll experience everything from sprinkling to full immersion, and it depends on where you are as to how that happens. And I have experienced all of those things in so many ways. Today, as I'm pointing out clearly, I hope by now, we're remembering the baptism of Jesus. This is, this is something that takes place uniquely, I say, other than the cross event, uniquely takes place in all four Gospels. And I pointed this out, and we talked about the, in our Bible study that, a few weeks about the Gospel of John. There's usually, uh, in the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, common stories. And then there's John that sort of sits out here. It's, it's laid out differently. They've all got the same basic story. Jesus lived, went to the cross, died, three days later rose again. We got that. But they tell them a little bit differently. Some of the stories are included differently for different reasons. But this is one story that's in all four in particular. Almost unique enough to be like the other end of the story, which is the cross, which is also in all four stories. And I think that's there for a reason. It's to prove its importance. It's to prove its importance not only because it's positioned where it is, but it's important to us. It's an event in our lives that we read about in the life of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus is one of the most theologically profound events in the gospel narratives. Outside of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, this baptism of Jesus is one of the keystones of the gospel story or the story of the life of Jesus. It's included in all four gospels. When the Father spoke from heaven, He said, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Crosses all four gospel messages. The divine sonship of Christ was announced in a very vivid and dramatic way and in many ways, and is a continuation of this notion of from last week with the epiphany. It's not just the wise men going to this quiet home to visit Jesus. There's a large crowd of people gathered that day. And this miraculous voice from heaven utters those words, This is my Son. My beloved is the word that gets used. 
This is a significant event to establish Christ's identity. And we need to take the time to think about that. Not just as how it affects Jesus, but how that rolls into our lives. So today I titled the sermon, and really that title should be almost a title for the service. Like a dove. A dove showed up in this story. And you know, whether you are a religious person or not, there's a, there's a, there's a symbol that everybody knows. And it's the dove with an olive branch in its mouth. And that belongs to us. Because that story comes from Noah. In Genesis 8, at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent out a raven. You have to read that make sure you get that right. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Never came back. See, we always read that story. Remember from Sunday school, he sent out what? A dove. Well, he sent out a raven first, and it didn't come back. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set its foot, and it returned to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took it and brought it into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent that same dove out from the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. And he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, and it didn't come back either because it found some place to rest. We assume the raven perished. Olive branch. doesn't say anything about peace there particularly. But the story of Noah and that dove with the olive branch, when you read the Old Testament story of Noah, often you'll see in translation that God sets a rainbow in the heavens. The word is not rainbow. The word is bow. In Hebrew, it's a bow from an arrow. Bow. And God sets His bow in the heavens as a symbol to say, I am no longer at war with the world any longer. I am at peace. And we've picked up from that the dove and the olive branch. God changed the way the world was going to be because He was going to destroy the entire world, if you read that story, and start over again. Because people had become so wicked and the world wasn't working very well. Then he said, you know what? Noah's been faithful, his family's been faithful, he listened to me and he set out on the waters. I'm going to put my bow down, no longer am I at war. And when Jesus stepped into the waters that morning with John the Baptist, God sent a dove, symbolizing the same thing. I have now brought peace into this world. And that's what our baptism represents in so many ways. The peace that has returned to our lives through Christ's death and resurrection symbolized in our baptism. The interesting thing about water as well Water is used throughout the entire Bible to symbolize new life. Moses 
was brought out of the water. Moses crossed the water. The River Jordan has been a key player as well. It's the River Jordan that Jesus and John are standing in. In Joshua 4, the people crossed the River Jordan, and although the waters parted, they just like they did for the Red Sea, they were clear, there's clearly a sense that they were being cleansed and prepared to enter the Promised Land through that baptism of cleansing through the River Jordan as they entered in. In 2 Kings 5, the story of the king's servant, Naaman, who had leprosy and was cleansed by washing in the River Jordan seven times by Elisha's instructions. So it's from stories such as this we get this idea of baptism of water and this idea of the dove of peace entering our lives. We have a long tradition in church, and I say that with a capital C, church regarding baptism. It takes on, as I said, many various forms, and there's many scriptures and resulting thoughts about how it should be done and all that sort of stuff. Theology. Each of us here, again, as I said, have experienced it one way or another in our lives. Jesus was not just doing something odd that day by stepping into those waters, claiming his baptism and seeing that dove appear. He was fulfilling his destiny and further furthering his declaration of being identified to the world as God's son here on earth. I want to say that one part of that phrase again. He was furthering his destiny or fulfilling his destiny. When we're baptized, we are fulfilling God's destiny in our lives. That's what it means. I've been reading about recently the Great Awakenings is what they're called. If you look at your hymn book, you'll see that a lot of the hymns were written in the late 1800s. That's considered the great second Great Awakening. The first one took place in the 1700s. Many great hymns were written in the second Great Awakening that took place. Outpouring of the Spirit of God globally, not just, not just in one location. And in the 1700s, the same thing happened, and great hymns were written then too. This Great Awakening that takes place is a baptism, spiritually speaking, of fire. Great Awakening challenged so many Christians and brought so many new Christians into the fold. Baptism represents that. Fulfillment of the destiny of God in our lives. That's my reflection for this morning. When I say reflection, that's our moment to pause and think about how we got here. Got here through the waters of baptism. We are sustained here by those same waters. For us, for you and I today, I seriously really want us to consider this act of baptism that took place in our lives, whenever that may have been, because it was a signing of a covenant, a contract between yourselves, ourselves, and God. Signed in Jesus' blood, so to speak. Covenant, again, biblical word. It means contract. That's why I keep saying it that way. And it's a special arrangement between two individuals. And there's always two parties in the particular covenant that takes place. And there's a whole ceremony around that. I'm going to that another time. There's a whole ceremony around the act of covenant in the Old Testament. 
But basically, I can summarize it by saying it's like that when we were kids, many of us, remember you're doing Blood Brothers? You know, it's sharing the blood between two people, basically. And you're never separated from now on. It's a blood contract. We're united through that. And that's the notion of this covenant that God sets for us. Contracts are important and they change lives today and in Bible. We're reading about baptism. We're reading about laying on of hands today. We're reading about mystical things that were experienced and are experienced in our time. Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit appeared in the form of a dove and this voice came from heaven. You are my Son, the Beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The blessings of God were pronounced. When Peter and John prayed for the people in Acts, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And then we read in Isaiah, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's a covenant, folks. That's a contract. It was made by God for all of us. As we consider our baptism, as we think about this dove image, this sense of peace that's coming between us and God, really, honestly, take a moment and think about your baptism, our baptisms, when it took place. You may not be remembered because you could have been a baby. I know I was. <laughs> and there were no pictures taken. So I, ha- I have nothing to lock on to, but I know it took place. But think about that baptism point in your, all of our lives. The covenant that was made that God was with us. We are God's beloved. And we can respond to that very similarly to what's also contained in that story from Peter and John that we didn't read. Because just beyond that, after they laid hands on those people, it says they were walking and leaping and praising God. There's a song around that. I won't sing it for you, but there's a song around that. They laid hands on them. They were healed. And they went walking and leaping and praising God. The covenant we have with God. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. It can cause us to walk and to leap and to praise God. We are redeemed. As Isaiah puts it, we are returned. We are reset. We are restarted before God. That's what that baptism point means. And we acknowledge that in the baptism of our faith, gathering like this on a Sunday morning and reflecting upon it on a day such as this. We leave this place today. Please contemplate that moment. Think of it as that time when you got kicked off in God, so to speak, and got started. Moving forward, it got you here today. It wasn't just your car. You're on a journey, all of us. If we look up, we can see the boat. We're on a journey. And it can make a difference, not only in our lives, but in the lives of the people that we share it with, because that's our mandate from the gospel. God has given us so much and freely. We contemplate that. And we bless God for it. Amen.